As we come into the time of uh, the Word today, and as our most wonderful band has a seat, um, I invite you to pray with me as we come into this time that we would open our hearts and our minds to what the Lord has to say to us today. God, we thank you so much for even this, this opportunity to be worshiping and to be praising, to be praying, to be learning, studying God, and to be found in your presence in this time. I thank you so much for the opportunity, God, that, that you've continued to give us to preach the gospel and to preach the word. Um, I pray faithfully through all of this time. Lord, we know that there are many times in the history of the world and uh, particularly the history of the church where um, if we were in a season like this, it would be very difficult to get the word out. And yet we find ourselves in such a time and place where um, this method and this means, Lord, can reach so many. And God, we thank you for that. We thank you for the glory that people are seeing of you, the salvation that many are coming to because they are in a place such as their own home, hearing the gospel and coming to believe. I pray, God, that this time that we are about to enter would be no different, Lord, but that this would be a time where we, all of us who are hearing this now, would grow in our depth of belief and understanding. God, lead us to you today. I pray the words that I would speak would be your words. The meditations that, that I have now and have had this week in preparation for this, Lord, would be yours. And God, that we would be found in your presence right now. Amen. Eighteen and a half minutes of missing, deleted tape was enough to bring down the president of the United States of America. That president was, of course, Richard Nixon. And that 18 and a half minutes was part of the Watergate scandal. Likely guilty, likely about to be put out of the presidency, he or others on his behalf destroyed 18 and a half minutes of evidence. But as history would show, it did not help him one bit. Friends, when an argument cannot be made, when a proper defense cannot be mounted, when someone is in a tight spot with very few options, they may resort to the destroying of evidence, to the destroying of evidence that is causing them all of their problems. Our passage today deals with such a situation, such a conundrum. We are in John chapter 12, verses 9 through 11. This is really the resolution, the end, the final bit of the miracle of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And I'd like to read this for us. It's just a few verses. Again, this is John chapter 12, verses 9 through 11. And it says this, When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came. Not only on account of him, Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away 
and believing in Jesus. When you won't join them, when you cannot let them win, what is left but to destroy them? We see here in our passage today the plotting of Israel's leadership to kill not only Jesus, we saw that uh, last chapter, but to kill Lazarus as well because they were left with literally no other option that they were willing to take. They're not optionless. They could believe and they could follow Jesus, but they are unwilling to do so. So what is left to them but to destroy the evidence of his power and his glory? The shortness of our passage today, just three short verses, I think lends itself to diving in and being able to explore a few lessons. So first, what we're going to do today is take a look at the slippery slope of sin. Then, we're going to take a look at why it was so worth seeking to kill Lazarus in order to silence the growing movement of people who were around and who were following Jesus. And so let's start with today the slippery slope of sin. And what I want to call today a sinward spiral. A sinward spiral. Easy to fall into and often difficult to get out of. In verses 10 and 11, let me read this again for us. It says, So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Now the key words here are as well. Right? He, they want to put him to death as well. The as well refers back to chapter 11, verse 50, when they come up with the plan First to kill Jesus. And Caiaphas says this, Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. See, they had just a few days before this decided together that it was worth killing one man in order to protect the nation as well as their power. And now they're working on killing another. Sin is a slippery slope. It's scary how easy it can be when we take one step in sin's direction to find ourselves entering that sinward spiral and being swept away. The classic example in scripture is, of course, King David. You can read his story in 2 Samuel 11, this man that we are told is after God's own heart, yet was far, far from perfect. We're told in 2 Samuel chapter 11 that first he is not where he is supposed to be. As king, he should be leading God's army, God's people into battle, and yet he's sent others in his stead. While he is at home with all of his friends and much of his family, his support system off at war. He finds himself alone in leisure on his roof. He sees a beautiful woman and continuing down his downward spiral forces her to his house. 
And rather than putting his lustful sin to death, he invites her over and in and likely forces himself on her. He gets her pregnant, then tries to hide what he's done, bringing her husband home from the war that he's supposed to be fighting so that her husband can lay with her and cover up David's sin. And when that does not work, he kills the husband, thus involving others in his sin as well. Friends, the scary earth thing of the sinward spiral is how easy it can be to bring others along with us. David doesn't confine his sin to himself, but brings his commanders in to the, into the spiral. Friends, sometimes sin can be more contagious than COVID-19. And after all of that, it seems, he has no problem with what he's done, and he just goes on with his life until a friend would confront him pray that we would all have such a friend for the moments and the times when we end up in our sinward spirals. This is the slippery slope of sin, right? A sinward spiral that at the beginning of, you may not even have realized you've slipped off the edge, but before long you got carried away. And the trouble is, as you got carried away, you got carried farther and farther. You lost more and more control. And before long, you may even come to a place where you are no longer able to recognize your sin. It becomes normal to you. In our passage, just days before, the leadership had begun plotting to kill Jesus. That one man was worth killing to protect the nation. Now, just days later, they're at two. And if you know the rest of the story, it will not stop there. Soon others will be added to the list of those that it is worth killing in order to protect the nation and their power. Stephen and James of the Jerusalem church will follow, and after that, an avalanche of lives lost as the sinward spiral continues. Friends, this may be the word for you today. For we have all slipped on that slippery slope. We have all at one point or another entered into that sinward spiral. And maybe you are there right now, today. If this is you, I want to urge you to call out to Jesus, to be rescued, to seek help, to confess your sins before it is too late. Now remember, the sinward spiral may be those things that we know we should not be doing, yet we enter into it, but it can also be avoiding those things we know we should be doing. That life that Christ has called us to, that we keep running from as if we were Jonah, as if we could run from God. Friends, I want you to know you cannot hope to escape the sinward spiral without the hand of Christ to grab a hold of you, 
by the power of the Holy Spirit to, to reach your heart by the will of the Father to grab a hold of you and pull you out. You cannot do it on your own. It is only, only by Christ. Just a chapter ago in chapter 11, we saw Lazarus dead in the grave. Unable to come out on his own, Christ comes to him and says, Lazarus, come out! And he does. Friends, many of us have been dead in the grave. Christ has called us out. He, he has called us out. We could not have come out were it not for him. And maybe you're a Christian right now when you're finding yourself in that place trapped. The same thing is true. He calls to us, come out, and he, through his power, we are able. Right? The song that we just sang, that hymn, not by our power, but by Christ in me, Christ in you. We have been rescued from death by Christ. We are rescued from sin by Christ. Lazarus, right? We come to him is now the one, because of the calling out of the grave, who's being targeted. Lazarus, the one who, by no power of himself, came out of the grave, finds himself worth killing. Christian, I want to ask you a question really plainly and clearly right now. Lazarus finds himself, because of the power of Christ, worth killing. And I'd like to ask you if you, too, would be worthy, worth killing. Or would the enemy, the powers that be, just ignore you? Because you don't matter. In verse 9, what we see is that Lazarus is the evidence of Christ's Power. Here's what it says. It says, When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, not only on account of Jesus, right? Jesus is worth pursuing, but also to see Lazarus. Just think about that for a minute. You've got Jesus. He is infinitely worth following, worth seeking after, worth pursuing. And Lazarus gets an honorable, honorable mention in the book of John. Right? They're not just coming to see Jesus. They're coming to see Lazarus too. Why? Because he is the evidence of who Christ is. Right? Christ who is capable of, powerful enough, glorious enough to have called Lazarus out. Lazarus is the evidence that Christ is who he says he is. In this passage in John chapter 11, you have Jesus. He's the main character, right? This is about him. They're already plotting to kill him. And then you have a host, a ton, many witnesses who knew, who saw Lazarus dead, and then they saw him alive. These are witnesses who can testify to who Christ is. And then you have Lazarus, just one man, the evidence of Christ's power. Friends, you can't kill all the witnesses. You can't. There's no way they could kill all the witnesses, but if they could just destroy the evidence, then they would negate the witness. 
they could say, hey, look, people are saying this, but there's no proof. Lazarus is the evidence of the power of Christ to raise someone from the dead. And he must be killed because of it. This is the work of the enemy. See, the enemy knows it cannot kill all the witnesses, but it can kill the evidence. When we think about this today, what we know is that the witnesses to Christ are long and dead. Right? They're long dead and gone. They're behind us. And yet, we have their testimony written, their words what they experienced before us. Their witness still lives in the word of God in scripture, which stands as the recorded testimony of hundreds, if not thousands of witnesses who saw and experienced the resurrected Jesus Christ, who saw and experienced his power. His power. Two verses come to mind as we think about about the nature of Scripture being about the witness um, to who Christ is. Hebrews 12, 1. Hear these words. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us in the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Right, the cloud of witnesses, this, this group of, of people who have come before us, many of whom their words are right here. They are that cloud. Another verse, Luke 1, verses 1 through 4. This is Luke writing. He says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from first, were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Verse 3, he says, Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught, the witness of those who came before us, the witness that still lives today. In the absence of a live witness, even now in, in court systems, if you have a, a witness who, who maybe dies or couldn't make it to court, but you, you have their written testimony, that is enough to convict. We have our witness, but do we have the evidence that what they said is true? We have their witness, but do we have their evidence? In our passage today, the evidence is Lazarus for all to see. That Christ did in fact have the power to raise Lazarus from the dead. To cause a dead man to walk. And I want you to know, Christian, that the same evidence that they had then in Lazarus, we have Today, in every single believer, in you and in me, what Lazarus was, we too are supposed to be. The evidence of the work of the power of Christ that proves the witness of Scripture true. 
You say, well, yeah, Lazarus was raised from the dead. He was dead and then he was alive. I can't compete with that. Christian, yes, you can. Because if you are a Christian, you too have been raised from death. Dead, being dead in sin and trespasses. Ephesians chapter 2. To life. He has brought us out of the grave. Fortunately for us, we never quite got all the way into the grave. He brought us out before it was even necessary. Friends, the evidence of the power of Christ, of his still being alive, his still being the Christ, is that you and I who were dead in our sins, our trespasses, have been made alive again. And so let me ask you this. Are you today, when you think about your life, are you evidence of the power of Christ? Are you evidence of the power of Christ? My fear is that many of us aren't. My fear is that many of us are still so stuck and trapped in our old lives that when people look at our new ones, they're like, I don't see anything. They say, I hear your words. I hear that you attend church. I hear that you, you read the Bible. I hear that you've got some Christian friends. But the world looks and, and says, show me. If Christ is true, then prove it to me. And the only way I know to do that is through the life of those who have been raised from the dead and brought to life. Christian, are you evidence of the power of God in Christ Jesus? Are you evidence? If you are, then I have news for you. This is bad news in one way. If you are, in fact, evidence of the power of Christ, then there is an enemy who wants to kill you. See, Lazarus is not an exception. Lazarus is the model, the first. And as they wanted to kill him, we too, who exhibit the power of God in this world, are the evidence of the truth of the gospel in our lives, we too are being targeted. Christ cannot be killed. The witness cannot be destroyed. But the evidence, the evidence is where things get dicey. We have an enemy, the devil, who is seeking to kill us and destroy us. We saw that in John chapter 10. The enemy... Some of us who are listening to this may also have enemies of flesh and blood. We may also have those who are of real life who are seeking to destroy us. But the scripture tells us that our battle is not with those people. Our battle, our fight is with the enemy's power. The spiritual forces of darkness. Our enemy is with the devil. Those in this world who seek to destroy us are simply people who have already lost the fight. They've already lost the battle, and they have no one to fight for them because they will not follow Christ. Our enemy is Satan. He seeks to destroy the evidence of the work of the cross, the power of the resurrection in our lives. Satan would like to see us be defeated. Now, I do want to say there are those, of course, in this world who are malevolent, 
There are those rulers, those powers, those governments in this world that seek to destroy the truth of the gospel, that do in fact seek to destroy the witness, the very lives of believers around the world. The fact of the matter is that they have to settle on destroying the evidence because they cannot destroy the witness and they cannot destroy Christ. So they seek to destroy believers. But I want to say very clearly that we who do not experience such persecution should be extra careful not to compare our own struggles and challenges in this life, what we experience with theirs. Or we seek to minimize not only their sacrifice, but the power of the gospel in their lives and in their deaths to continue as evidence, even as martyrs. That their voices would still ring out. For most of us listening to this today, the primary way the enemy seeks to destroy the evidence is something we've already talked about today. There is a slippery slope of sin. Nothing destroys the evidence of the power and work of God in our lives more than our own sin. I want you to hear this. We do not need an external enemy because we have an internal one. The sin that still lives in us that would cause us to slip and to slide down into that sinward spiral. It so often starts in our own heart and then can fester from there into the world. If you think me wrong, I would challenge that every one of us has proof. The proof is in the last time that you made the choice to sin instead of the choice to be victorious in Christ. And in that moment, you were led down a path. And before long, that path began to speak to you. It began to preach to you. It began to tell you things like, you're not saved. It began telling you things like, I must not have the Holy Spirit in my life. It, it may even begin to tell you things like, Christ is not real. See, when we get into that sinward spiral, what happens is even we begin to believe that the evidence is gone. Friends, I hope that if that has been you, that either you or someone else was able to preach the gospel to you. We often say that you need to preach the gospel to yourself. Right? We often speak to ourselves. We say things that are not true. We say mean things to ourselves, also to other people. What we should be doing is preaching the gospel every day to ourselves. I pray that, that someone or that you were able to be reminded of the gospel, that you would be pulled out of that sin spiral, and that the evidence of the power of Christ was not crushed in you for that season. Friends, let me say again, Satan does not need external persecution to destroy the evidence of Christ's power and glory. He uses our own sin to do so. Do not believe the enemy's lies. If you've come to Jesus to wash, to be discovered, to be forgiven, to be set free, if you've made him your Lord, then it is so. It is so. And nothing you do or the enemy could do will change that. Do not let him rip that from you. 
Do not let him destroy the evidence. If this is you right now, it is time to confess, to repent. It is time to seek help, to cry out to Jesus and to your fellow brother or sister who will help you grow, who will help you move from that sin, that addiction, that pain, that problem that seeks to destroy. And right now is the time. Not tomorrow, not next week. Now. Because as evidence of the power and work of Christ, the truth of the forgiveness of sins in our lives, the transformation from our old dead lives to the new ones we have, we too are, are and should be like Lazarus. See, friends, they don't just want to kill him because he's evidence. They don't just want to kill him because he is evidence of the power of God. They want to kill him because not only is he the evidence of the power of Christ to raise people from the dead, he's also attracting people to Jesus. Friends, when we let ourselves be that evidence, we will attract people to Jesus. Here's the key, though. How is it that as they look at him and they come to him, that, that they walk away from this? It tells us that many are believing and having faith in Christ. It's because when they get near to Lazarus, they're also getting near to Jesus. I don't know if you noticed in last week's passage, and ever since the moment when Lazarus was raised from the dead, who has he been near? He's been with Jesus. Right? We saw him last week reclining at the table after a meal with Jesus. We see him this week with Jesus. People are, are checking out Lazarus. They're hearing his story, and Lazarus is going, hey, you think this is good? That's better. That's better. And at Calvary, we talk about making Jesus non-ignorable. That happens two ways, I think. The first is we make much of Jesus. Whether in our preaching or our songs or our prayers or in our weekly of taking of communion, the Lord's Supper, we make much of Jesus so that he will not be ignored. You cannot make it, I pray, ever through a Calvary service and not know something, know, see Jesus more clearly than you did before you walked in. That is my prayer. We make Jesus non-ignorable. When people see what he's done in us and we point them to Christ. It's not by my power. It's not by anything in me. It's by what he's done. Friends, not only is he the evidence, but he is attracting people to Jesus. Friends, Lazarus is the evidence of the power and the work of Christ. Lazarus was worth, worthy of being killed. And the question we have to have, answer in this is, are we? Is the power of Christ in our lives so much so that the enemy cannot let us slide without the attack? Without the risk that if he lets us go he will lose control. Friends, Lazarus was worth killing. And as weird as this sounds, I pray that we too would be worth 
And of course, our Christ, our Lord, our Savior, was killed. And he told us that we too would be hated. We too would be attacked. We should expect that. But it only comes when we have spent that time with him, when we are with him, when, when, when what we are doing and what we are saying and, and who we are and how we are living our life becomes a threat to the true enemy of this world. Christian, are you worth killing? Would you pray with me? God, I come before you in, in a hard word. God, this is, this is not one of those moments where we, we just get to run around being encouraged. And, and but Lord, that your word would, would challenge us in such a way, would ask such questions of us. God, I know none of us want to lose our lives for you. But the word is clear that some of us will. And God, I pray that we would be worth the enemy attacking. I pray that the, the witness that we have, that the love that we show to our community here in, in Lahana in the valley here, and anybody else who's listening to this, wherever they are, that their witness would be so strong that the enemy would need to confront them. God, I pray that we would be like you. God, that we would be found in you, with you, that we would point people to you. And God, we pray that you would show us yourself today. God, lead us in this as you have for, for decades, for generations, for the last few thousand years. God, I also want to pray, Lord, that if there is anyone out there who is hearing this and does not know you, Lord, I pray that your spirit would speak to them. We don't want to, want to sugarcoat what it means to follow you. And this passage does not. It, it, it lays it bare. And God, I pray that there would be, would be someone who hears this and says, this is what my life is supposed to be about too. And I pray that they would give their life to you, that you would save them from their sin, giving them new life, Lord, and calling them into, into this, this purpose and this life. God, we thank you and we praise you. We know that you are working in this. We look to see that proof, that evidence, that power in many. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.